0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit audio bandwidth for this week in tech is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device. Featuring wireless sync, download it free at winamp.com android. Video bandwidth for TWIT is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is TWIT, This Week in Tech. Episode 296, recorded April 10th, 2011. Smells like a big wet dog in here. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Go to My PC. Attention iPad owners, access your applications and files on your home or office computer from your iPad with Go to My PC by Citrix. For your free 30 day trial, visit gotomypc.com. Promo code TWIT. And by audible.com. Sign up for the Platinum Plan and get two free books. Go to audible.com slash twit2. And don't forget to follow Audible on Twitter. User ID audible underscore com. And by squarespace.com. The fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. For a free 14 day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twit. This is Twit This Week in Tech. Episode 296. And as we are wont to do on this second week in April, uh, I thought we'd go back and uh, talk to some of the pioneers of the technology industry. We Sometimes we call it our, our gray-haired twit, starting with uh, this fellow here. I don't know what's going on with your camera, Jerry. It looks like you're uh, you're coming to us from the Isle of Man space program. Jerry Pornell, <laughs> uh, who, of course, a great columnist for Byte Magazine. We hope to see you in the new Byte. I've been talking to Gina Smith, the new editor-in-chief of Byte Magazine. She really wants Chaos Manor
2: back. I hope we can get that. It's good to have you, Jerry. Yeah, thanks. Hi. Yeah, it looks like Byte may be coming back, and um, Gina's really a ball of fire getting oh, she things is.
0: going. She's the greatest, yeah.
2: And Uh, she's also a doll, but that's...
0: (laughs) Well, more than that, uh, we're hoping to do their podcast. We want to call it ByteCast and have uh, the Byte Editor's Roundtable on on our network as soon as we get a roundtable. We're going to buy a roundtable just for it.
2: Oh, terrific. Yeah. It's gonna have to be done remotely. I'm not coming up to Petaluma. No. I haven't that much interest in arm wrestling. <laughs> I'd like to come see you sometime, but uh that's well, a long trip. Well,
0: I'll explain. We're gonna yeah, absolutely you can do it from right there in your library. And by the way, Jerry, if you're watching the video is in his library in his home in uh, Southern California. It's a, always a great shot to see all those books. I just love it. It's like a museum. The Dead Tree edition.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be the way it is, but I like Dead Trees because you can see their titles. And well, Jock Barzin once described it as a scholar in his office being assaulted by his books. I love it, and that's just what it looks like. That's great.
3: Well, and, and we also know that you'll be able to read them even decades from now, well, whereas true. with all of this electronic format stuff, we don't really have any guarantees that they'll be readable at some point arbitrary point in the future.
2: As a matter of fact, I could use some advice on how to read some old uh, five and a quarter inch magneto optical discs, uh, old worm drive discs. I have nothing that'll read them anymore. Yeah, that voice, that that other voice you
0: hear is somebody you probably (laughs) will recognize as the host of our Security Now podcast and my dear old friend Steve Gibson, who is Also, uh, been doing podcasts with us since the very beginning, and another writer. uh, Did did you ever write for Byte? I know you were in InfoWorld. Oh, just InfoWorld. Yeah. Uh, And Steve's column, what was it called? Tech Talk. Tech Talk column for many years, I read, in InfoWorld magazine. And sitting right next to him on the back page of InfoWorld magazine, that's this guy, John C. Dvorak. Inside track column. Inside track. He still does the inside track. Uh, it's PC Mag still publishes it, right?
4: Well, there's, I mean, it's online. Everything's online. Everything's gone online. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that
0: online thing—that it's just a yeah. flash. I've heard pan. about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Everybody's probably forgotten, but I had the back page column in bite after. I mean, in Info World after um, Dvorak left, it turned out that McGraw Hill had not. Properly drawn up, its contract to make it exclusive against InfoWorld, so they. I which oh, that's that interesting. Did, did John's. I took over what John had been doing as the lead or trailing columnist for a year and a half, two years. And is that till, considered?
0: Was that considered prime real estate? The back page of a magazine.
2: I guess oh, it was. I think that was the best spot in the magazine. Was the inside back, but the it's it's the facing to the actual. But you open the. Magazine from behind, and it's what you look at. That was what John had for.
4: Yeah, you know the the reason that was considered prime real estate is because it was only for the writers. Because what it amounted to was that people could go to a newsstand, flip open the back page, <laughs> read your stuff real quick, and put the thing skip back. the rest. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's it easy to skip the body of the magazine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how prime that was. My oh, job. No, no. Is I the think Oval it's Byte true. Magazine. As
0: a, I was, I was on the other side of this, guys. I was the guy who subscribed to InfoWorld and Magazine. Magazine and absolutely flipped right to the back page of InfoWorld every single week. Steve, with all due respect, it was inside track right
4: away.
3: Oh, I know. Well, I, and, and my column was the next page in. Yeah, so it and, was easy. And- yeah and and you know that advertisers are charged extra premium for the inside front and inside back covers, so it must be that it gets extra attention sure. and and you know it's understood front of book back of book yeah. all of that
2: yeah all right my 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 job in the old bite was carrying the back of the book, they put me in on. Page 240 is where my (laughs) column started, and they'd have it one column wide and about half a page deep, and it wound through every dang page in the back of the book all the way to the end, every end, and people would say, "Why, why don't you... Why don't they put you up front in the feature position? And I had to point out to them that I got paid more for being back <laughs> in the back because I carried all those pages of ads. For God's sake, that was that was why they were so dang long and rambling. Yes, right? you it, know, it's not to get. That's I'm when sorry, computer magazines
0: do... had 236 pages in them still.
2: Sears Roebuck catalog size. If anybody remembers what
0: a Sears Roebuck I don't think that's was. a reference that's going to resonate either. Go, oh, ahead.
3: And eight, Go ahead. 80%, 85% were ads. I mean, oh, they yeah. were just made oh, yeah. the amount of revenue those things generated. You, you knew back it was then. the
0: beginning of the end when you got the Computer Shopper and it must yeah. have been 10 pounds and you could make furniture out of this. If you had a years worth of Computer Shopper, you had a, a night
4: nightstand, ready-made. I built yeah. the house. Yeah. No kidding. John, what were you going to say? before? I, cut I was going to say that the, 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 probably the best example of that sort of thinking that Jerry was expressing is the uh, cartoons in the back of the New Yorker. They're only there to keep you flipping through those pages mm-hmm. so those ads can get some attention.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. Hey, uh, just a, a word. Uh, this is uh, the last episode of the fifth year of the Twit Network, our very first Twit was April 17th 2005 we begin our sixth sixth year next Sunday and we're going to bring back uh, as best we can the hosts on episode 1 Kevin Rose, Patrick Norton, Robert Heron, I think John uh, David Prager will join us. John, you weren't a part of Twit until maybe 5 or 6 episodes
4: in. I think of episode 5. Yeah. So you, I'm out. Well, you can come if you want. You'll be the, nah, the new guy. Yeah, I would be a third wheel. <laughs> you know, Leo, it would be really neat if
3: it were possible to do a, sort of a time capsule that way and talk about how the Internet has changed in these five years. Because, well, I mean, God knows those, those guys were all part of it. Well, the big story
0: this week is the House of Representatives on Friday overturning the FCC's uh, Internet uh, regulations, their net neutrality regulations. Senate uh, will have to vote on this. President Obama's already said that he will veto the bill should the Senate pass it. The Senate is expected to pass it. Uh, And, of course, this is always that big fight is should the government be involved in net neutrality? Uh, And uh, if so, um, is Obama right to veto this? Let me start with you, Jerry. I I know you have a pretty strong anti-government bias
2: It's not so much anti-government. Is that I? I think I'm I'm not one of those people, an anarchist. I'm not one of those people who thinks there ought not be a government. I just think it ought to mind its own business, and I don't think this is the government's business. I haven't seen any abuses. John was telling me that we were going to have. 200-baud accounts because of of this, but I haven't seen it happen yet.
0: Does it scare you, John, that the net neutrality regulations are overturned?
4: Uh, No, but I do agree with Jerry that uh, I don't like the idea of the FCC all of a sudden. My thinking is the following. Once the government starts getting involved with net neutrality, then they're going to get involved with regulation and that, because it's like they, they can't back off. They just get bigger and bigger well, and bigger. Well, I work for the government. I've seen this in action. Well, we talked about and, this
0: before, but let me let me throw in the opposing point of view and then and then let you uh, tell me why I'm wrong. I think this I, – I agree with you. I mean the last thing I want to see is the government involved in the Internet, but I think this is a mess government created. In fact, the FCC created when they allowed the duopoly of the cable companies and the phone companies to control the Internet. If there were – true uh, internet competitiveness if i could go to 10 different isps i wouldn't be so worried about net neutrality but comcast says 250 gigabyte cap at and just announced 150 gigabyte cap that's a form of network discrimination isn't this the fcc fixing the problem that they created in the first place don't we need this because we don't have true uh, competition
4: this is that situation where you know you you create a problem and you fix it and mess something else up and then fix that and fix the next thing that you screw up and then you keep tracing it back and then next thing you know and I'm telling you this is what's going where it's headed. You're going to have to be licensed to do this show. If that happens, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm yeah. going to the Isle of Man. Leo, you have about
2: 10 terabytes of live broadcast every hour, and so maybe you need more than 150 gigabytes, but I don't know very many people who need that kind of bandwidth. Well, that's the argument
0: AT&T gives, that, oh, 99% of our customers uh, don't use that much. This is to prevent bandwidth hogs, but I disagree, Jerry. I think what What? they're doing is a preemptive strike against the day soon to come when we're watching Netflix, when we're downloading movies. Movies from iTunes and Amazon. This is to protect their phone business. This is to protect U-verse, their television business. They're worried about me and everybody else taking over.
3: Well, and remember, they're also protecting the MPAA and the RIAA. We're now seeing the government blacklisting web domains and, you know, arbitrarily deciding that, okay, these guys are copyright infringers. And suddenly... We can't access those domains because they're taken out of DNS. So, I mean, the government is definitely creeping into our internet activity. I just, I just yeah, think it that-
2: is, but I don't think letting the FCC have at it with, the, I mean, you know, Prenell's iron law of bureaucracy says that bureaucracies <laughs> exist to fortify themselves and expand their own capabilities, not to do what you think you set them up but, to but do. But that's
0: all right. I, but that's dogma, Jerry. What do we do if you don't have the it's not government?
2: Dogma. It's observation.
0: Okay, but uh, but uh, what do you do about this particular problem? How do you solve this? You know, we've got this situation where really the cable companies and the phone companies have an iron grip on our Internet access. And if they choose to, as they seem to be, uh, acting in their own business interests, not in the interests of the nation
2: and the people of the nation, then what do we do? How do we prevent that? Set up another set of channels. You do. You, you compete with them, of course. Well, who? Who's going to do that? Well, well Century CenturyTel's
4: got their own system out there. Verizon's got one. Sprint ne- has got the uh, you know that wireless uh, thing going on. The WiMax which you you can subscribe to in many parts of the country. It's not a complete monopoly. No, no, there's it's a, a duopoly or I mean, now that's a triopoly Leo, in some places. But it's beside the point. These other guys couldn't compete. They're that all it, colluding with each other. Leo, you think sp- don't you don't well, you believe in
2: technology? Happen.
0: I do. I wish I. But the problem is, there's already a mess made. Uh, you you know when, in the dial-up well, era you had many choices, hurt? but as How soon have as it you became been
2: hurt by the by the situation so far, because you're probably the one guy who could be what's well, that around here? It, this is
0: it's so so far no problem. However, I do fear when I see these bandwidth caps put on, there are I'll tell you I've been hurt outside the U.S. in countries like. Canada and Australia, where they have much lower bandwidth caps, people, many of our viewers in Australia can't watch the video because it would use up their bandwidth cap. And I fear that that time is rapidly coming to the United States. Uh, And it's and it's by the way, it's not an interest of protecting their constrained resources because and John and I, you've had this fight many times with me over the cost of bits I don't think it's that. I think it's to protect their entrenched businesses, their, their cable premium cable
4: channels. Well, that channels could be, and- Leo, but let's take, take another look at this. What has the government done about all these antitrust deals? Every time an opportunity comes for them to say no to something like this AT&T upcoming yeah, buyout, right. they don't say no. They just they encourage it. So what is the government going to do if you put the FCC in charge? They're going to encourage more of this, and then who's going to get... The, the thing is, there, I don't see that they're doing but anybody any good now. The net neutrality is a red herring, and it's all boiling down to the point where you're going to have to buy a license to do the show you're doing right now. That's the only way it's where it's headed. They they haven't done anything any good for anybody. They're not stopping this AT and T merger, which is a disaster with T-Mobile. I don't want that. Nobody does. Well,
0: so what do we do? Do we? Uh, I mean, I it's one thing to say start a ISP, Jerry, but I don't know if that's a doable thing. If you know, there's a lot of copper in the ground, and I can't start an ISP without the cooperation of the incumbent local carrier, the phone company well, or the cable company. And in fact, know. the cable... Company is pro- not even required to sell their access. They're the only exactly.
2: one. Well, my problem for years was I couldn't get high speed access. I was three miles from the switch, so I couldn't get copper and uh, the cable. My local cable company didn't at that time do it, and I. But for a while there was, in fact, an an internet outfit that did it. It went down when the cables began to provide cheap high-speed bandwidth, but it worked for a while as a wireless. I built a little Linux box. I set it there, and I set it up, and I had pretty good speed. Then when that went away, Earthlink has satellites. I was for a while getting my high-speed access from a satellite. Oh, that was terrible, then Jerry. you got to agree. It, no, it wasn't terrible. It was very fast uh, uh, throughput. It was slow. Response time because of the, the the delay between here and there. So websites that were designed to have eight million uh, calls to other places took forever to load. But a movie didn't take any time. How about this? Make-
0: How about this? What if uh, what if the government finally released the restrictions on access to the cable and let internet service providers other than Comcast say use the Comcast cable to provide internet service as they've done? Uh, over the phone lines if they promoted true competition over the phone lines you know right now if AT&T doesn't want an independent internet service provider to use their their copper they really can make it pretty difficult I've talked to a lot of independent ISPs who say hey this is tough Um, what if they put some teeth in these regulations really required uh, access then maybe we would have some competition admittedly we only have two big pipes into the house but at least we could have many service I, providers over those pipes.
2: I, I think the wireless business is going to put the cables out of business. Well, that would be. I a don't. Good I thing. think. I think wired connectivity is doomed. That well, then I then I think the Google Verizon
0: deal. Uh, which basically said, uh, "Well, we'll have net neutrality unwired, but let's not let's not stifle the brand new wireless business." Really, kind of is even more scary now. They're basically just
2: make it easy to get into the wireless business, and I and besides, when it's all done, the Isle of Man will put up a satellite and and provide you with satellite. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about yeah. the
0: Isle of Man space program in just a second. Jerry says, uh, "Isle of Man is the is the next big." Superpower in space. I don't even, I'm going to have to get a map out, Jerry. I don't even know where they are. Is that a .im (laughs) uh, domain? Oh, .im. Maybe it is. I have have a a .im domain. We have twit.im. I'll bet that's it. Yeah, I bet it is. Well, let's take a break. We're going to come back. Jerry Pornell is here. Uh, Steve Gibson, John C. Dvorak. If you're in the chat room, I'd love to get some questions for these guys. I know you'd probably like to talk to them. It's kind of fun to have some of the great legends of the tech journalism business on with us right now. Before we go, though, back to our conversation, let me mention our friends at Citrix. I know these guys know Citrix, Ed Iacobucci and his team. Ed Ed worked at IBM, came over to Microsoft to work on Windows NT, and as a result, he was still working at IBM, but he just helped out Microsoft with Windows NT. As a result, nobody knew the inside guts of Windows better than at Yakabuchi and Citrix was the result—a great company that does enterprise uh, desktop uh, sharing, and of course, they have some great consumer products. And we talk about them a lot, including Go to PC. I don't know if you've ever tried Go to PC. There, are, I know there are a lot of choices when it comes to um, remote access to your desktop. But i got to tell you, GoToMyPC is the fastest, the easiest to use. You'll set it up in minutes. You don't need the IT department to do any port forwarding. It's 128-bit SSL encrypted. It's got NAT traversal, which I wouldn't know what that means, except for Mr. Gibson's explained it all to me in great detail. GoToMyPC, and now on the iPad, too. So here's the deal. You could try it free for 30 days right now. Visit GoToMyPC.com slash twit. You install it on your Mac or PC. Once you've got it installed... Go to the iTunes store on your iPad, get the free client, and now you can surf right over to go to mypc.com, enter your secure username and password, and you're actually running Windows or Mac on the iPad. It is actually mind-boggling. Remote access from your home, from vacation, from a hotel, anywhere you go, as fast as if you're there, as easy to use. You can run any program, access any network resource, even send and receive email. It's, it's a true convenience and very affordable too. Free for the next thirty days. Go to mypc.com dot com slash twit. G o t o m y p c dot com slash twit. Back we go to our twit panel. Jerry's up and about looking for something. I don't know what what you what you're your looking. <laughs> I was for?
2: hanging uh, something. I was trying to get that bright sunspots off of me, but I I like it. You're shining. All right. Tell us about there the. I oh, am. I see it there. Yeah, that's fine. Tell us what's this Isle of Man thing? The Isle of Man has a very high-tech promotion. I think they're trying to be a sort of Silicon Valley in the in the middle of the United Kingdom. They are um, part of the United Kingdom. The queen is the sovereign, but they are not part of the outfit that's run by the parliament at Westminster. They have their own parliament. In fact, I think they claim it's the oldest parliament in Europe or something of the sort. I I, I thought the Icelandic owl thing was. But anyway, they seem to want to promote some of my old pro-technology lectures that I made back in the 70s in the doom period when everybody was saying that, you know, by the year – 2005 we're going to have all starved to death and there's going to be this mass die off of people and i basically said that isn't the case so they're trying to set me up to do my old lectures that i used to go around doing at colleges and i'm actually looking for trying to set up a technology situation of course we got the new bike coming
0: Yeah, well, here it is.
2: Here's a video from the Isle of Man. I don't know who these
0: guys are. Chamber of Commerce promoting their new space program. You're right, Steve. They're .im. Ah. They've had 33 people look at this video in the last year. (laughs) Wow! And and look at this. The Isle of Man is the fifth nation, they say, likely to return to the moon. They're going to go to the moon? Who's number two, three, and four? (laughs) U.S., Russia, China... China. Korea? I don't know. Who else is going to the moon? But I you wouldn't put a
2: Japanese, Japanese, that's right.
4: Alice. Alice. (laughs) Is that a country? (laughs) No, Alice. It's from the Jackie Gleason show. Get it?
0: Oh to the the moon, Alice. To the moon.
2: I say Isle of Man," but the point is the Japanese are perfectly capable of putting up a a a satellite. Should communication we go back to the satellite? moon? Should man I mean man spaceflight be back?
0: I, I know you're a big proponent of civilian space travel, uh, Jerry.
2: Well, you're asking the wrong guy if you want an informa- information answer because I'm very predictable on the subject. Isn't information the unpredictable? I mean, obviously, I think we ought to go back. I'm heck, I'm the chairman of the Lunar Society. But why, uh, Um, first, why not? But it—it's a perfectly uh, good because place it's expensive. To live. Well, it can be very profitable. The moon is made of a lot of things, and we now know there's water there, so there is nothing. You don't have to import much in order to be able to live there. It's an easier place to live than, let's say, Iowa was in (laughs) 1840, Or Oakland today. I think it's a good billboard. The moon, easier than Iowa. Well, Leo... The, you know, the, the whole West was settled by pioneers in covered wagons. What you probably don't know is that the cost of a covered wagon with a team of oxen and plows and rifles and axes and, the, you know, the whole outfit to go out in homestead delivered in Independence, Missouri in 1870 was about $100,000 in 19... Wow. 19- 90 dollars wow in other words these were upper middle class people deciding to get the heck away from dodge because the government had got too oppressive and they were looking for a place where they could have what they thought was freedom
3: it was the original tea party if, if you were on if you're on the moon what extent. could you do other than just jump real far <laughs> what do you do
2: here but <laughs> what, what is your usual thing <laughs> here if you're on, I mean, if you if you're talking about recreation, among other things, you can fly. Uh, I mean, fly with wings. You how know? about it, Mars? It, 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 is is, is, is uh, you are, are, there's No, there's no air. I. You you obviously you have to be, put the air in. I don't know how to. <laughs> that. <That's all. laughs> yeah, I'm with you, Jerry. But
0: only because I read a lot of your books and other great science fiction literature, and I just love the idea. Uh, it's very, you know, it seems like. The future belongs out there, um, but uh, well,
2: if the, Arthur Clarke said it probably better than anybody else, if the human race is to have a future, then for ninety percent of its existence, the word ship will mean spaceship. Yeah, yeah. Because we we, have to get off this otherwise, one we have no future, right? So if we, if we if we were to terraform
3: the moon, then I guess that would be a great place. Then we'd I don't know so how to terraform
2: to... the moon. I know how to terraform Mars, but I don't know how to do it with today's technology. I don't know how to do it in the sense that if it's an engineering project. Building a lunar colony is engineering, not science. We know how to do that. Yeah, but then you're Getting to in Mars again. is science. I don't know how to keep people alive for two years which is about to pass here, a year and a half or a year or even nine months in uh, in space transit because of solar flares and various other things. Oh, the space radiation environment's pretty bad. Yep. And the the one thing we're absolutely certain of is that between yeah. if you have something like if you had thirty three inches of of, of of water between you and or if you have 14.7 pounds per square inch worth of worth of 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 medium Z materials between you and the space environment, you can survive. How do we know? Because that's what we have. That's what, what Earth has. We've got the atmosphere between us and the and and the space environment, and that has taken care of the solar flares and all the rest of it. But we don't know I don't know how to get people to Mars. That doesn't mean that we won't learn how, but that's science and not just engineering. but I do know how to put three and a half meters of lunar regolith between you and and the the space environment. You just tunnel under it. dig a hole, right. yeah. did you see that Richard Branston now wants
0: to do a submarine? He's got one. it's a beautiful looking thing too yeah. it's yeah. pretty pretty sweet, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I guess in a way that's like space ex-
2: exploration. There's a, the deep ocean we know is little or less. You know, I used to be on the board of directors of the Ocean Living Society, which also wanted to build essentially ocean colonies.
0: So he's going to, uh, later this year, he's going to go to 36,000 feet below the surface.
3: The Mariana Trench. The bottom of the Mariana Trench,
0: yeah. No no
2: one's ever been down there, obviously. Uh, We don't know what's there at all. It's a subduction zone. It's crazy. Are you excited about that? Well, it's a great place to put nuclear waste. I guess. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, that
4: kind of killed the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: I wasn't thinking
0: of it that way. Maybe there's somebody, something down there might not like that so much.
2: I doubt there's much down there, but you never know. You, you don't know till you don't get there. You don't know. We certainly didn't know that there was a a, a non-oxygen, uh, no photosynthesis life forms around volcanic vents under the ocean until yeah, I, a few years, decades ago. Yeah,
3: we wouldn't want to really upset any super powerful <laughs> life forms that you know were just tolerating us being up here on the crust. <laughs> No, and you don't want to upset
2: Big Juju and the gods. But uh, (laughs) you got to take a chance sometimes. The the gods tell you you'll fall off of the edge of the uh, of the earth if you try to get to to the to to go west from Spain. You know, you gotta you gotta admire
0: Richard Branson. I mean, here is a guy who just doesn't. He just doesn't quit. Uh, This is a crazy nutty idea. How does this get to thirty six thousand feet? I mean. Doesn't it just, I mean, the pressure down there must be intense. What keeps this thing from
2: just squishing like a tin can? Same thing that keeps a diver from squishing like a tin can at 300 feet. 300 feet is 10 atmospheres, you know.
0: Well, what's 36,000 feet? That must be...
2: 36,000, well, divide by 33 feet. What do they, they pressurize the inside? He did say that that,
3: that the uh, submarine has a one single huge, incredibly thick quartz window that they've been carefully polishing and and milling i guess like any defect in it could could cause a, a structural weakness in this but it's going to have a, a big window on it it's incredibly yeah. brave what is the That's deepest
0: just really neat what is the deepest we've gone uh, manned manned uh, vessels have gone well, so far
2: you do understand you balance the inside and the outside pressure Yeah, yeah
0: well yeah you have to you'd have to have as much pressure pushing
3: out as pushing
0: Well, in.
2: I think that the number you're looking for is classified.
3: <laughs> is Although it? <laughs> it, it's known to be about 20,000, I think. So only about half that distance. Jiminy Christmas. So you think that
0: the military's gone deep, but we just don't know how deep.
2: You don't. You do? <laughs> I don't have to say. Oh. <laughs> hmm.
4: Come on, Jerry, you can tell us. Tell us, Jerry. We won't tell. Nobody Look, I watches Kevin, this. Kevin
0: Rose on the show Nobody watches huh? this show anyway, Jerry you're all right you're safe.
2: No us old spooks like to like to spook you so
0: <laughs> that's the old they put the finger by the side of the nose and say I'll never tell yeah so, so um the Mariana trench deepest unexplored point on our planet starts at eleven thousand feet, but the, the bottom of it goes all the way down they're going to do five he's a brave fella. I would not be, I'm not sure I'd get
3: in line for this trip. Would you? I I think what's so fun is to take a camera down there. There's a bunch of freaky looking things
0: down there. I want to see there. what's down there. may not oh, be anything goodness. at that pressure. Who knows? But uh, yeah. I'd sure like to see.
2: Well, we know there are some very strange things at very deep depths because sometimes they they get washed up. And, of course, they pretty well explode because they come up too fast. Right. You, you do understand that the whole per, the thing about surviving in that kind of environment is the pressure inside and the pressure outside have to be the same, and when you change it, that change has to be fairly gradual. That's why if you scuba dive at 400 feet, as I have, it takes longer to come up than right. you got to spend down there right. while you were there. You just have to... One of the nice dives is off Jamaica because there's a mountain that comes up, and it, and you go down to the bottom, and then you spiral your way back up it, which is really kind of a nice dive. Um, Because you have to come up slow. If you come up fast, you'll explode. That's Uh, probably not good for you.
0: (laughs) You want to keep the inside on the inside and the outside on the outside.
2: And, and of course, when you have that big a, a window, there's a lot of square inches on that. So when you're talking about, thirty six thousand pounds per square inch of pressure, that's multiply that by the number of square inches on that window, and you don't want much pressure differential between you and the outside. Yeah, the inside and the outside have to be balanced at all times.
3: Apparently they're currently doing pressure tests and the sub is holding up. So Yeah. Um, wow. well,
2: what you do is you take really compressed gases with you and you use that to pressurize the inside and then you let that out as you come up. Right.
0: So I don't know what to make of this. This is in Slashdot today. Oh. <laughs> An investigator for the Air Force, this is FBI releases document confirming the Roswell UFO. Oh,
4: balls. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, what? If it were anywhere other than Slashdot, it's not yeah. April Fool's oh, Slashdot. I, I missed that part. Yeah. Well, they, wait a minute. Next.
0: No, wait. A no <laughs> Slash. Dot. No. Wait. 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 Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They link back to uh, a the FBI dot gov web, website.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, and the FBI dot web, website is going to show you that that the Air Force picked up a whole bunch of junk out uh, <laughs> at the crash site because what crashed was a mogul. Oh and Mogul was a. Uh, you remember if, if you know anything about the Roswell case they, they the big thing they make about it is this substance that was hard to tear and flexible and metallic it was mylar aluminized mylar which nobody had in those days but a balloon that was made of it crashed outside of Roswell it was, a, it was the Mogul project which was an acoustic it basically flew balloons over the Soviet Union and, and listened uh. to what it could hear on the way by, and nobody wanted that to happen. My first impression when, when I heard about the Roswell thing is I thought the bombardment group had laid an egg. That is, they'd lost an, a, a, right. a, a nuclear weapon out there and the, the secrecy stuff came in real hard. It didn't turn out to be that. It turned out to be the Mogul crush. Ever since then, Roswell's made a hell of a of a, of a good living, <laughs> the entire city out of out of aliens and, it's and, and the Roswell story. It's been a good, but in fact <laughs> there is not much to the story. It's been a good My forty friend, year Carl run. Luck, Who was a real, my friend Clara Flock was a real true believer. He really believed in UFOs. He would move on and all these other things. He got a grant to go write the Roswell story and he dug into it and he dug up everything and he discovered that it was all explainable. Poor guy. It damn near broke his heart. I bet it did.
0: Yeah. All right, I'm gonna change subjects. Then enough space. By the way, I want to
4: mention something here. John Seed
0: of work. By the way, you have a new show, X3. Tell me about that.
4: X3 is a uh, essentially a deconstruction of the uh, old cranky geek show, but with a few changes. Uh, In other words, we just do one topic, and then that's the show. But we do a bunch of them at once, so you can watch a whole bunch of. It's really short. Yeah, they're kind of short, but you you can watch as many as you want because we do like ten every time we do them. Now uh, the thing that's changed is the same kind of the same set, but I've changed my thinking about having guests because uh, I find it was annoying to book guests. (laughs) Yeah. It's too much And it's work. just a lot of work. And I didn't feel like doing that. So I, I, I like the idea of a fixed g- group of guests. So I got Andrew Eisner, who's a really smart guy and he knows everything. And he works for Retrievo and he used to be an editor for one of the big magazines. And Joe Ingo, who's a super nerdy tech, uh, you know, Apple oriented character who knows all kinds of weird stuff I never knew about and you know he's a dns guy and uh, so we just have the, just our group of three and we take news stories and we discuss them and every and everybody's i don't have to worry about people they don't know what they're talking about and all the rest of it so it's a slightly different show you can go to x 3mebiocom if you want to watch it
0: it's, it's this is cool so three experts one topic
4: right and an ad
0: three interesting experts one topic. yeah no i like i like the guests Cool. I think that's a great idea, John. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I just wanted to ask you about that. Oh, another question. Are you a ham?
4: Oh, yeah. I've been a ham for uh, since November.
0: I I didn't believe it. They told me because we're doing it. We're going to start. Why a wouldn't new... you believe it? It's not that hard to do. Well, I, that's the only exp- possible explanation.
2: <laughs> ah, you. Well, <laughs> you don't have to
0: learn Morse anymore, do yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, no, but you took the test. You got the basic uh, thing. Are you going to get uh, equipment and start broadcasting? I, I already have the equipment. Plate. I got
4: all kinds of. Gear. I've been collecting gear for a while. I got a bunch of gear. Yeah, I I, I can broadcast. Well, we're going to get you I,
0: on I, our show. We're doing a new uh, show for hams called Ham Nation.
4: Ham Nation sounds like something you. It sounds like a food show.
0: Ham so, Nation. Uh,
4: <laughs> so no, the thing is, I, I I picked up this paranoid attitude some time ago about the fact that if everything goes, especially during Katrina, that if everything goes down. You know, Mm. the guys who saved the day were the ham operators because they were on the air while nobody was no power anyplace else. You can have your own. You have a battery. You can start broadcasting. And I I came to the conclusion that at some point, you know, it's probably a good skill to own uh, in a neighborhood. Uh, And I think a lot of younger people aren't exploring it. And I would say right now to anybody out there listening to this, if you know the basic stuff about computer technology and how to – build a machine for example you know about half of the ham license answers already for the uh for the uh, initial uh, license uh the technician's license, and you can go, uh, you can go, you know, it, it takes probably very little study. There's all kinds of online help and and lesson plans and, and testing you can do. You can test over and over again until you get it, and then you go take a test. It's not that difficult, and I think more people should do it. And it also prevents guys like that, uh, Peter King uh, in Congress, who wants to steal all the ha- amateur bands. Uh, and then use them for some commercial crap that's probably not going to do anybody any good. When the hams, like I said, had saved the day at Katrina because the government wasn't doing anything. So I think this is important.
2: Well, if there's a disaster, yeah. I'm moving in with you. Well, it, John's absolutely right. The One of the worst things that ever happened to this country was when we abolished the old civil defense network and set up a federal emergency management agency. Oh, civil defense was all local, organized, local local people, ham radio operators, retired firemen, retired military, retired cops. And it was all voluntary, and each one was sort of dedicated to the disaster you're likely to have, Rather than having an agency in Washington that's supposed to be expert on hurricanes, right. oil well explosions, earthquakes, and you see what I'm getting at, it's just stupid. There is no way to federalize emergency management. Well, and Jerry, I bet you remember
3: there was a book that I just worshipped when I was a kid, and that was the A R R L handbook. Oh
2: yeah, of course. Amateur of course. radio. I had a ham license a long time ago. Radio daily. I just yeah, I just don't have time anymore. Wow. And Steve, are you I, a ham? The Army taught no. me how to do Morse code, so I got one back in the days when it was really tough because you had to do 13 words a minute to, to get a ham license. And I bet, I bet the technology code, today is to really beautiful, beautiful though, the, the equipment.
0: John, do you have uh, – have you put up a mast or are you going to start uh, broadcasting on the uh – the single
4: sideband? I mean, what are you? Are you? Are you no, well, single sideband is not what you do. I don't but know. But yeah, I've been on the air a couple of times. I've got a mobile rig right now, but I'll probably put a, an antenna up. I've got a, a you know, it's not, that, it's not that hard to do the whole process. It's just a little time consuming. I have a, my problem is not so much doing all that, I've got all the gear. It's just getting organized. I'm a disorganized person, and it's just very annoying. Well, that's why when they
0: said John's a ham, I said no, he's a disorganized person. There's no way. <laughs> uh, what are
4: you ten meters? I got well the. Uh, he's got a walkie-talkie. Have, Give him a break. No, no, I got. I got. all so I have some VHF gear right now, but I'm getting some some higher end stuff.
0: A A R R L amateur American Amateur Radio Relay League Relay
4: League. Yeah, Relay League.
0: And uh, I imagine you can still get that book, uh, Steve. I bet you anything. Oh, oh they God, put out just,
2: a handbook still, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure.
0: Oh, yeah. There you go. The Ham Radio License Manual Revised 2nd Edition.
2: Yeah, but I mean the ARRL handbook was was a lot more than just the license manual. Oh, it was a
0: Bible of, of technology. And I'm sure it it's fantastic. still there somewhere. Oh, that's cool. i got to find it. That's great. We uh, I'm now you make me want to get a license. I could do <laughs> well, these just get shows. You know, Leo,
4: you could get. Your you, it would take your you about a, a week. It take you a week I, of t- you know. Study
0: when they told me you uh, got a license, I thought oh, that must this test must be so easy. Who and needs I, the internet? I we actually got radio. I went to. I you went think
4: to, I'm an idiot. What are you saying? This <laughs> test must be so easy. I just
0: thought there's no way John studied for <laughs> and uh, took a test. Uh, it had to be like just the simplest thing. So I went to the test and it was hard. It was really hard, so I, I honor you, John C.
2: Dvorak. Leo, you got to remember, John used to be an engineer. Oh. Do you still have the hat?
4: I always, I, I have my, you're thinking of a train engineer. I think you're getting these things mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> With <Just> the stripes. <laughs> John C. Dvorak.
0: Oh, you have a Dalmatian. That's right. John you C. D- know,
4: uh you should take the t- Dude, you should go take, do this. I test. took the test very- on the air. I took it right here on Twit Live, and
0: I just was horrible. And he flunked it. Not only did I flunk it, I had no idea even what they were asking. Oh. <laughs> Don't cackle, Jerry. Nothing to laugh about. If you go to ARRL.org, they have the whole, uh, the whole thing so you can take the light. They have tests. You have question. See, this is what I did I did the question pool. See, so you could take the questions and, and see. You got the technician class, right, John? Yep. That's the one for
4: dummies. Yeah, it's the one for dummies, but I'll get the general one when I feel like it. It's not that hard. I'm, I'm already, I'm like two or three questions away from passing that.
3: Wait a minute, though. The radio works even if you don't have a license, right? <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. I mean, if yeah, it's an emergency you know, they, they, and Katrina are 2 has happened,
3: you plug in and talk to somebody.
4: You could, but you'll be caught. There's a bunch of these... Not if there's a disaster going on. What are they going to do? Amongst this group of people... There's a whole bunch of these, I don't know how to describe them except maybe ankle biters or or these very officious hall monitor types uh, who are yeah. basically monitoring 24/7 right. looking <laughs> for guys like you trying to cheat the system and they will bust you and you will get fined and it will cost you a lot of money and it'll be a hassle.
0: John, which of the following entities recommends transmit receive channels and other parameters for auxiliary and repeater stations? A, frequency spectrum manager, B, frequency coordinator, C, C FCC Regional Field Officer, D International Telecommunications Union. There's (laughs) supposed to be four answers. You only read three.
4: (laughs) He read four. I think the coordinator It's all
0: bureaucracy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say the FCC Regional Field Officer. No, it's the coordinator. I'm sure of it. Oh, all right. Well, that's why you have a license. Everybody agrees it's the frequency coordinator. Yay. What is the FCC Part 97 definition of an amateur station, John C. Dvorak?
4: Never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna belabor this. You. obviously can see you You can't can it. do it. you any good. This, I'm gonna have to study. <laughs> Did you study for a week? You studied. No, I studied for about a month.
3: Wow. I'm
4: just so impressed.
3: So that's to see, and that belies your claim that you're disorganized, and that required some organization. No John, kidding. To, no,
2: it didn't. It, it, it required a computer. <laughs> the, interesting, the interesting thing about it is all those questions have to do with legalities and regulations. Right. They have absolutely nothing yeah. to do with the technical proficiency. There are a few it qu- used to be that test made you actually understand right. Ohm's law and and power
4: and radiation. There's and a thing. few questions yeah. about it. There's a couple of ca- – there's about four calculations in there. Yeah,
0: I'm going to have an FCC third-class ticket. That was all about Ohm's law I had law one of those.
4: I had one of those in the day when you yeah. had to have one to be on the radio. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Didn't we, we all? Is there anybody in the world who never got a class three? Uh, really? I, I,
4: well, I think you got us, Jerry. No, they're probably my,
2: everybody in the world one. has one. Everybody, actually, I had a class A at one time, and if, if waving it up against the transmitter would have fixed the problem, I, I could have done it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. This
0: is so much fun. I don't know how much tech news. I I do want to talk a little bit about YouTube making a big move. Google's video arm, first of all, they have announced that they're going to sink $100 million into creating original programming. Uh, This is kind of like Netflix. Netflix has started to buy programming and has intimated they're going to start creating shows as well. And And then YouTube has announced something called YouTube Live, live streaming broadcasting, and a number of broadcasters uh, not Twit, but a number of other broadcasters are already using oh, Kim, it. Okay,
4: you were left out of the deal. You oh, got
0: screwed on this, Leo. Therein lies a tale. I'll tell you about it. Yeah, oh, I'd good. like to
2: hear that myself. You do more live broadcasting than all the rest of those combined.
0: Well, apparently, I'm not as good as Joe's, you know, bargain basement garage sale radio program, Incorporated. But before we. Why do, do that,
2: you look miffed? <laughs> I'm a little miffed. <laughs> i got over
0: it i was a little miffed for a little while i'd stay miffed if i were you yeah Yeah. it it looks good on me doesn't it yeah yeah little fire adds a little blame (laughs) errington actually i blamed a former employee and she got really hurt so i'm not gonna blame anybody i know who to blame i'm gonna blame hollywood and i'll tell you why in a second before we do that i would like to talk a little bit about squarespace.com the secret behind exceptional websites uh I, I don't I don't need to tell the uh, sophisticated, intelligent, discerning audience that listens to this show that if you don't have your own website, you kind of really don't exist these days on the Internet. You need a website. You probably already have one, so I'm not going to bother you. But think of all your family and friends and maybe coworkers, maybe your favorite restaurant. They don't have a website, and, and you're wondering why not. Well, here's a great way to get them started. Go to squarespace.com slash twit. And click that big green try it for free button. You don't need a credit card. You don't need anything really but the name of a site, a password, an email address, and uh, and this little capture to make sure a robot's not doing it. And you have absolute access for the next two weeks to all of the great features of Squarespace. You can import and export data from all the existing APIs, movable type WordPress Typepad, and blogger. Great social integration. Just plug and play little widgets to Flickr and Twitter and even any RSS feed so you can Completely customize this without any code. Of course, the great thing about Squarespace is if you are a coder, if you want to do CSS or JavaScript, they support that as well. A great iPhone and iPad app that allows you to post and monitor and and manage and even get stats on your site. Oh, boy, and the stats, they're beautiful. Great templates, photo galleries, forums, form building, data collection, and more. Squarespace, we use it for our Inside Twit blog, and it is just fantastic. It's hosting plus the best software for content management in the world. I want you to try it free right now, squarespace.com slash twit. And as I said, if you have an existing site, you can easily try it and import all of your content. All the links will be preserved, all the images, the comments, everything, so that you can see what your current site might look like under Squarespace. Version 6 is on its way, and it's incredible. They've just done such a great job Give it a try. In fact, just look at the website. They've got great videos and examples. Uh, It it couldn't be easier to get an idea of how to get started. Every Squarespace site is unique and beautiful. Squarespace.com slash twit. If you haven't tried it yet, do yourself a favor. Give it a shot. Absolutely free for the next two weeks. Squarespace.com slash twit. The secret behind exceptional websites. Jerry Purnell, John C. Dvorak, Steve Gibson, with us talking about the good old days and the modern days. Steve does a great show with us every week. Every Wednesday we do a Security Now, uh, which is in, in many ways a, a kind of graduate course in computing because we often cover basic computing topics in, on the way to explaining security issues and so forth. If you haven't listened to it, give it a try. He's also at GRC.com. That's where his SpinRight program is. Jerry's been writing. I mean, uh, Steve's been writing software as long as Jerry's been writing columns. I think,
3: maybe even longer. I don't know. Yeah, since four. Since I was fourteen. So
2: yeah, <laughs> that's quite been a while.
3: Wow, while. While. quite a while. I don't know what John. Yeah, when
2: like. did you start,
3: Steve? In high school when I was a when I was Not uh, what
2: year? When did you, did you start doing the software?
3: By nineteen seventy would have been.
2: Wow. Was that Fortran?
3: What were you using? No, that was on a PDP eight. That was my first assembly language. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yep, and that's if you look at Steve's video. That's he's got those blinking
0: lights behind him, over his left shoulder. Those are PDP 8s not not uh, original PDP eight. Those are
3: kits, right? Right, those are um, uh, emulations. But the the PDP eight was such a success that it ended up getting reduced to a single chip. It just refused to die, <laughs> and uh, so someone pulled all those single chips together and and built a little kit so you could recreate the PDP eight. Uh, in its entirety, and run all the software and things on it, too.
2: You remember the PDP-8 that was built into a desk? <laughs> yeah. It's called Microsoft yeah. Surface. <laughs> no. no, there was a – no, it it, it it was literally – you had a, a an engineering – I had one. You had an engineering office desk, and instead of a file cabinet drawer, there was a PDP-8 in it. That was, that was one of the things you could get if you were a sufficiently – resourceful engineer wow. in the aerospace business in those days. That's pretty cool. I would I a- started learning programming on an IBM six fifty in the fifties. And what yeah. was that? Was that COBOL? IBM fifty was uh you used uh no, it had a biquinary language. The language <laughs> was ten was ten bits. I mean ten bytes. Okay? <laughs> The first two bytes were an opcode, which told it uh, what to do, like load accumulator, add to this, subtract from that, divide, that type of thing, okay? The next four bits were the address of the data, and the last four bits were the address of the next in- instruction, because there wasn't wow. any program cal- counter in the thing.
3: Wow. wow.
2: And, they- it, and the memory was on a drum. Didn't have a stack. Didn't have- it was a drum. No, there were no stacks. There was none of that. And it had a drum. I had to invert a matrix on a thing like that. It was incredible. <laughs> that that was a- really- it took hours. <laughs> there weren't no <laughs> and- Fortran. John, uh, John McCarthy was trying to write uh, a Lisp for it at the time. I was trying to invert matrices for wow. it. So. Wow. John went on to be a computer scientist. I stayed in aerospace. Well, and, and back
3: then, w- when you had drum as the as the main memory, uh, the challenge was optimizing it for speed. You would literally set your instructions so that they were at the right place in the drum's rotation so that That's the computer right. could access right. it at the right time.
2: Somebody wrote an optimizer for it after a while. But yeah, for, for a while, that was you, you, you had to figure out where. Otherwise, it would have just missed where it should have got the next data, and the drum would have to do another rotation. It had 50,000 words. A word was 10 bytes in those days. It had 50,000 words of, instru- uh, in, of memory on that drum. That was the memory. The actual memory in machine memory was like 10 words. Wow.
3: Right, actual registers. Ten words.
2: Yeah. yeah. How fast did it run WordStar? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't anything like WordStar. <laughs> and, of course, <laughs> you did everything. by uh, To do anything big, you had to um, essentially card punch intermediate results out on cards and then have them read right back in again when it needed them. It it was not an easy thing to do, but it it beat the heck out of doing it with a Monroe calculator. That was
3: real computing back then.
2: Yeah, when men were men. That's right. I, no, when 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 men were graduate students and in utter terrorism,
0: I have to I have to admit when I was in college it was still the big iron and I I had no interest because uh, I didn't want to go to the lab in the middle of the night with my punch cards it just didn't attract and it yeah. wasn't until you could have it on your desk however small you know and 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 have a personal computer. That it was of any interest at all to me. But once... yeah, that
2: was a PDP-8. The PDP-8 was a kind of personal computer for high-end engineers. Yeah. And, uh, yep. and it ran FORTRANS, and you could do things with it in those days. But yeah. it took a long time to get there. Do you, did any of you know James Gosling?
0: He left. Uh, of course, he was not happy when Sun got acquired by uh, mm. Oracle and was very clear about that. He's gone on. He's moved to Google. He's the guy who wrote Java, created Java. And uh, consider, I think, one of the premier computer scientists out there. Google's kind of... It's interesting. Google's uh, starting to look like a mature industry, a mature business these days compared to its young scrappy days. Larry Page, though, is back running it. He uh, Eric Schmidt left this week. Uh, and uh, Larry Page, the founder of Google, is back in charge. And already he's reorganized, put together a committee of six um, to run the company. Missing out on Marissa Meyer. I don't know if this is a... A snub to Marissa or an oversight, or maybe she's just busy. <laughs> but she was on the big committee that ran Google. and She's no longer in this in this new, newly reformed uh, office. I don't know if it's the office of the chairman or what. But uh, she is uh, in ch- still in charge, as far as I can tell, of, of Google Mobile. But mobile is not one of the big six categories. And I think that's one of the ways you can tell what this new Google is all about, is looking at who these executives are and what they're... In- charge of you can also say and i'll give you that list in a second but you can also say that there's uh some indicator by the fact that google's announced that bonuses this year for all google employees will be directly tied to google's success in social Mm. not not search what not search not ads in social i quit well (laughs) and you know
3: you, you know that google is beginning to be a real company too when they're they're um uh bumping heads again with our government and needing permission to do mergers that they're looking for um you know they're what I think they got approval just now uh, just recently for their uh travel ITA uh, yeah. right yeah so uh
0: the 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 new big 6 are Andy Rubin Mobile he's the guy behind Android <laughs> Vic Gundotra Social these are all senior vice presidents uh, Vic, you see a lot of Vic. He uh, he was at Microsoft. He uh, He's the guy they bring on. St- oh, look at that little. Jeez, is that a wolf? Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> wow, I thought it was a little puppy until I saw his eyes.
2: It's uh, a her. But it's yes. a her,
0: yeah. She's she Siberian? What is she?
2: Yeah, she's a Siberian husky. She's close to a wolf as you'll get for a domestic animal. Holy
3: cow! That's a great dog.
2: Beautiful dog. Yeah, Sheds. she's lovely.
3: <laughs> Sheds.
2: <laughs> oh boy, do they shed? <laughs> Believe me, they shed. Especially in Southern California, they shed. It's hot. You know, you can make a sweater
4: from this fur. So it's as you can actually knit it into a sweater. That's what I recommend.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can. You can card her, uh, card it, and spin it, and make make sweaters out of her.
4: Yep. Don't let it rain on you though. <laughs> what? So Google's like a big wet dog. you smell like
0: a big wet dog. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, Sundar Pinchai uh, is VP of Chrome, SVP of Chrome. I actually met him. He's the guy behind Chrome OS. Uh, Salar Kamangaris is now YouTube and video. He's actually employee number eight at Google. Uh, one of the big shots there. Alan Eustace, search. Susan Wojcicki, ads. So that's it. Mobile socials, Chrome. Video, search, and ads. Those are the big six categories going forward at Google. And as I said, they're going to base their uh, their um, bonus structure ah. on social. Well, Any word on whether
2: they're going to try to revive another uh, agreement on the Google copying now that that judge has thrown out the Authors Guild settlement that that they had negotiated? Yeah, she basically said
0: back to the drawing board, you didn't include... You know, it was a, it was an agreement between the publishers, the Authors Guild, and Google, and that uh, they set aside what was it, one hundred twenty five million dollars fund for orphan works. And she said, "No, you didn't. You didn't include all the stakeholders in this." As, of course, the other stakeholders, the people who are anxious about this, are Microsoft and Amazon, who don't want Google to uh, undermine their book business. Uh, yeah.
2: I don't. Know. I thought it was a good agreement. I'm. Uh, it's a little disappointing. There are authors who don't like it, but I thought it was a good agreement, and I wanted to see it accepted.
0: Well, the issue is orphaned works, isn't it? But by definition, nobody cares about orphan works. So, what are we worried about it for? Well,
2: it's not true that nobody cares. It's that nobody knows whether they care or not. Uh, I give you an example. I've got some older anthologies that I edited. And they contain some works by people, some of them are old enough, that the people who who contributed to the stories have vanished. Uh, I don't know where they are. They're dead. I don't know who owns the copyright. I don't know what, and I suspect that the copyright holder doesn't know they have anything worth anything. It isn't going to be worth much, but if I put one of those books like War World up on uh, Amazon, we might make enough money that each contributor would get a $1,000. But the contributors' heirs don't even know that this 30-year-old story is worth a nickel. Well, they so, probably don't know they own it. Well, so how do you solve that? Well, the the settlement said that I would... Pay the money into essentially an escrow account and it would sit there until somebody came up, or I'd get it back after a certain that amount seems, of time. That it's seems like a, a good way thing. to do it. Uh, well, the big objection to the settlement was a bunch of authors said, "But they scanned my work without my permission." Because you understand, Google didn't know which were orphans and which weren't, so no, they, they scanned everything.
0: They they decided it'd be better to ask, better to uh, apologize but you, and ask but permission. They just went ahead and do it. Can't permission
2: from the people who don't know they own something, right. and so they scanned everything, and then they offered to pay essentially about forty dollars per. Scanned work to the copyright holders for the insult. Uh, Basically, they scanned about forty of my books, and they offered really? me something like like uh, books and articles and things. Yeah, and they offered me something like three hundred dollars uh, for the insult. Okay. They had to scan things, so
3: they had some uh, source material for their CAPTCHA engine. Well, they, for
2: they scanned to the entire it. library, the University of Michigan, the University of Virginia, and a couple other places. Like, they scanned everything.
0: But, so, what? Uh, do you mind that they did that? Do you wish they didn't?
2: Well, what, were they selling I, it? They weren't selling it. No, books. No, they weren't selling it, and that's the point. They... There are a lot of authors, who scan my work without permission. And my view is, yeah, but they have offered to pay me for the insult. They didn't cost me anything. It didn't cost me anything that they scanned it. They haven't made it available to the world. It's just in a search uh, I, index. They, they want to. Now, the one of the things is they unless you opt out, which is to say, I don't want you to be my agent and offer this for sale on the Internet, then they retain the right to do that. And a lot of people know it's got to be opt in. Well, but opt in doesn't solve the problem of the orphan work because nobody right. knows who's in. Right. Uh, far as I'm concerned, it was a perfectly good compromise. They're going to pay me for the insult, and they allow me to say, no, I'll handle my own rights, thank you. You don't need to. That's really all I needed out of it, and I probably have a bigger stake in it than the one who's really unhappy is Ursula Le Guin, and she has about as big a stake as me, and she and I are... in. Absolute disagreement on whether it was a good idea or not. She filed an
0: an amicus brief and uh, it was. Yes, yes.
2: And and Ursula is, you understand, Ursula is not crazy. She's not a fanatic. She's not, I mean, we disagree. It's an honest disagreement. Uh,
0: What does she want Google to do? Make it opt in?
2: opt-in. She she says they shouldn't have done it. They should erase all those things they scanned without permission and start over. Now, I think that's going a bit far myself. But I understand her point of view, which is that this was my work. I didn't give you permission to do that. And if I have not given you permission to do it, you should not have done it. And I don't accept the insult money you have offered me.
0: Uh, but uh, there is a social benefit to Google scanning all of this
2: in. Does that outweigh so. the author's interest? I think so. Ursula doesn't, and it's interesting because Ursula is basically left wing in politi- po- po- politics. <laughs> and you're <a> and conservative. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a I'm conservative. I'm somewhat more conservative than libertarian, I guess, but somewhere in that in that nexus of libertarian and conservative. So, I yes, I think the social benefits are important in it. I, I think that keeping Google's goal was to keep alive everything ever written. Right. I, I think that's a noble ambition. Yeah.
4: Now, well, I, you I you know, remember that told that the, whole, the, whole, Jerry the whole notion of, of copyright I, was created for social I remember from benefit. the get-go right, when right. we started talking about this stuff, it was... It was always oh you know it's you know when, when the computer game began it was oh one of the great things that will happen all the works of all uh, mankind will be digitized and safe forever and we got to digitize the Library of Congress and everything should be digitized and then nobody did anything the yeah. government wouldn't do it the li- nobody would do any digitization so Google, so Google said, says okay we'll
2: do it actually Microsoft yeah, did it for complains. a while yeah yeah I, I'm with you John I I don't understand what all the shouting's about I think that Google did something good. I, I think their, 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 their goal was noble, and I think the method that they used to accomplish it was reasonable. Uh, and, you know, the, with me, it's three dollars $400 at stake, which is not money. So right. it, my, my view is that this was a good thing, and they ought to be encouraged to do, do it. But it does not seem to be the case. The judge didn't agree
0: anyway. So you guys have any thought about Google getting into the uh, the production business, spending $100 million, according to the Wall Street Journal, on original content? It's an interesting play for Google. But in the past, YouTube's just been, you give us your, you know, in fact, they've been trying to do deals with all the content creators. You give us your stuff, we'll air it, we'll put ads on it, we'll all benefit. Now
3: they said, no, we're going to make our own. I think it makes much more sense for them to function the way the existing cable companies do, where they they see shows and buy shows that are being made by existing producers. To me, that just seems way more sane unless they want to do something that's like, you know, very different, like super techie tutorials
4: or something. And I say something here. Yeah, this is not a trivial thing that any yep. bonehead on the street or some guy sitting over there at the Googleplex can do. Exactly. There are plenty of companies that went out of business coming and going, trying to do this. I mean, this is not, not an easy thing for people in Hollywood to do. Pick and choose, you know, what's a winner and what's not. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a fool's... I think the guys are just going to throw their money away in a bunch of crap. Now it's only well, $100 million. It's dollars worse than that. Because they've got hey, too much money. That's really... If you
2: weird. lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. If you get in of a Hollywood game, you're going to come out looking like Hollywood because oh, that's like Hollywood. Yahoo. Hollywood is successful because it does things a certain way. The way it does them, I live in this town. What goes on behind the scenes in this town is not very pretty. And if Google wants to get in that game, they're going to find themselves into a milieu that they don't understand and is really,
0: it may eat them alive. Won't be the first time. Look at the, they try to get in the mobile business. That
3: hasn't worked out so well. Okay, so let's talk about social.
0: Yeah, this is because their new has, thing. Hasn't that ship sailed already? Well, here's what I think Google's doing. I mean, Facebook, of course, is social. And what Google's, I think what, this is the newest paradigm sure. of search. Remember, we went through, we've been through a couple of search paradigms. Yahoo started with a human index. Google qu- quickly eclipsed Yahoo by saying, no, it's too big. We're going to do a, an algorithmic index of the Internet. But that's starting to fall apart. Everybody knows who uses Google or e- even any other algorithmic search engine. It's just, it's, it's gameable. So what they, I think what they they, they look at, they're eyeing Facebook and they're saying, look at Facebook's got all of this information based on who your friends are and what your friends like. That's what the like button is all about. And you lay that on top of search results. Instead of getting search results that are completely Mm. algorithmically designed, you get the best of both worlds. You get a human gloss from your friends, from your social graph, as they call it, on top of algorithmic search results and that's going to beat google every time and i think they're terrified that that's exactly what facebook's going to do so that's what it sounds like to me is google says uh, nah, i nah. think you
4: nailed it leo
0: so what does google do is it too late for them is it already is this is this is, this, is, this, is the business cycle now move at light speed in silicon valley is it already over for google 10 years no. down the line
4: no 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 no, no. No. But this is not Google's. Uh, you know, this is not their core competency. They what they should do well, what is, is work their on core fixing
0: the problem. Search and ads, right? Fix the problem.
4: Make the Fix search the work. Problem. Can you? Yes. Can. Yes. Can you have algorithmic search that works? Why not? It's yeah. gameable. It's worked. Yeah, it's gameable now. But you can outgame the gamers. I mean, this is like fighting uh, viruses, virus coders. I mean, it's just that you can't stop and say, "Well, we've we've done our job. We're here. We're would here you, to stay. Would Let's you just ag- milk the would, cash cow." Would, you can't do that. Would you agree? Boy,
2: you and I sometimes fight, but I couldn't agree with you more. But wait on a my- minute.
0: Wouldn't you agree that the results you're getting from Google are far worse now than they oh, were yeah. a year ago? Th- but that's oh, saying. they're that's bad. What Jerry they're evil, in
2: fact. That's one of the things that bothers me is Google is becoming evil. But that doesn't mean they can't get out of the hole they're digging themselves.
0: Well, I'm sure they're working on improving search. You know, Matt Cutts, who's re- responsible for killing search spam, uh, that's pretty pretty much the main problem here, of course, is people getting spammy results into search uh even he admitted well we're using some uh, human editorial well, well in mind. fact
3: don't they have chrome sending feedback back to them from from the things that the users do so for example if we're looking at a at a at a page of google search results they can tell what it is that we filter from their results and and what links we click on and that's very important and powerful information yeah. for them to have well
0: they they got to be yeah. careful they can i think that they there is a toolbar they've introduced and they're asking people to use this to rate search results and to watch you. So I think they're careful not to build it into the generic Chrome because they don't they right. know people are sensitive to being watched.
2: Let, let, let me on the chance, the very good chance that there is a Google executive watching this right now. Let me give you an example of something evil them. they're doing, <laughs> which they they probably don't even know they're doing it. My daughter did a a um, a sequel to The Moulton God's Eye, which is a very well-known uh, book that Niven and I did 35, 40 years ago and which still sells to this day. One of my she favorite books sequ- of all time. Yeah, well, she did a, a sequel called Audis, which with our permission and encouragement, and it's her book, we didn't write it, and put it up on Kindle, and she sold I. Eight or 10,000 copies, something like that now, which is pretty dang good, you know. Uh, it, and she's actually brought in more money than she would have got if she'd gone to a legit, to a standard publisher and got in an advance and had them publish it. But in the search engines, as soon as she took the di- digital rights management off of the thing, the next day Google was showing free copies way above hers. When you you'd look for, for her book, Audis, you'd look up by the name, you'd see up at the top, you'd see the, the first listing would be some torrent. I think they have fixed that. They have now, fixed that because the number one yeah. result
0: now is the Amazon.
2: Which is what it should be. And maybe they have already taken steps to fix it. But it was really, it, it was disastrous on her sales. But Google how is, Google, how is
3: Google evil? I mean, why is that Google's Their fault?
2: algorithms are not taking into account the legitimacy of the search. Oh, but now you're causing a huge
0: problem, and yeah. you're saying that Google's supposed to weigh in on the merit or the morality of a
2: link. I think ethically they should. I don't. Uh, I didn't say this, legally. By the way, I am not looking for an FCC regulation on no, this. No, but by the I way. Am not trying to get the government involved I am trying to get Google to live up to its this, practice of don't be evil this is and exactly why promoting. Google
0: wants to do social because Google doesn't want to get in that business but what they're hoping is if they overlay some curation not from them but from your buddies that they'll mm-hmm. avoid this problem
4: because this sounds like to be honest about it to, to me this sounds like it would be worse. With social, because all the people that are involved with social, they're, they're the ones in the are <laughs> put the BitTorrent right up there, but at it least be, Google, yeah, but BitTorrent. Google could she then say,
0: "Hey,
2: hey, I'm sorry, it's your friends. You got law, you know." Law-breaking friends. Look, anybody well, so you, can be evil and find a darn good reason for having done it. There is no difficulty rationalizing evil behavior. Thank God. That doesn't mean that you are right to do things that way. I can always give you a good reason for doing something that you and I both know I shouldn't be doing. Right. Boy, that's a good lesson, by the way.
0: Thank you, Jerry. I'm going to have to think about that here. I do want to take a little break, and we're going to come back. Uh, lots more to talk about. Jerry Purnell is here, the author of some of the greatest science fiction work of all time. You mentioned Moton God's Eye, uh, Lucifer's Hammer. Um, give me a couple more. I got them all.
2: Well, Lucifer's Hammer, Burning City, the whole bunch of them. We're about to put up some more on Kindle. Oh, good. The, the Kindle revolution is enormous. Uh we are selling more copies of Lucifer's Hammer on Kindle now than than the last paper edition sold, when 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 there was the, it was still in print and paper. No kidding. It probably still is in print and paper. It's been through 45. 45- Editions, and I presume there's one still out there. But the paper, the the uh, Kendall sales of Lucifer's Hammer are quite high. Larry and I are making decent money out of out of Kendall. Just just the awesome. Kendall. That's fantastic. We don't know what we're getting out of Nook and the others because Amazon, after three months, pays monthly.
0: Do you Now, are you selling it through your publisher, or do you own? Do the rights revert to you and you're selling it directly now?
2: It's mine. The rights are reverted, and Niven and I, are do, our agent, put it up, so she's getting Brilliant. a fee out of it. We could have Brilliant. put it up without her, but since she sold the book in the first place, that, that didn't seem like a, a good thing to do. So there there is a moral for
0: authors to get those secondary rights back as quick as you can because there's oh, that, so just, it's not... It's Primary, get them back! You yeah, you get
2: those back. secondary rights, and you put those books up. And by golly, I'll bet you all of the old books if they went up there, uh, including ones you think are way out of date. At ninety-nine cents, I'd bet you sell ten
4: thousand right. copies. Yeah, you probably right. In fact, now you mentioned I'm going to do that. And I always have a reversion clause in all my contracts. Do you? Because it's crazy not to. Right.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dvorak's Guide <laughs> yeah. to
4: Telecommunications had a great, great... Uh, I bet you great... John
2: could make a book out of some of his old columns and sell it for 99 oh, cents and John. sell 10,000 copies. That's a brilliant
0: idea. A look back at the history of the computer right. revolution inside, inside track. track
2: from yeah. back in the 80s. From and year I will one. bet you that a book made up of, of selected inside tracks with minimal comments by John about, well, this didn't turn out that way or this turned out that way, but a lot more than I thought it would. I will bet you you would sell 10 to 100,000 copies of a thing like now, that. How that much on- doing it? How much do you make? So, Jerry, how much do you sell them for and how much do you make? Okay, at 2.99 and above it's 70% on Kindle. Holy at below 2.99 yeah. it's 30%. So you're
0: making more than 2 bucks a copy, which is more I'm sure than you made in the original
2: hardcover. You got sale. it. But well, 30% is more than I made in the original. A <laughs> uh, normal royalty rates from normal publishers is 10%, around 10%. They can go as high as 15 John, but- do
0: you have the rights to the Inside Track columns? Could you?
4: Yeah, actually, another thing I do when I do any deals with uh, magazines, I always do a shared rights deal. So yeah. they have the right to reprint it, but I have the right to
2: yeah, yeah that's the standard in the copyright law without, without any – your, your standard agreement in copyright is that you and the publisher both have a a, a non-exclusive anthology right to, to, to after they bought first serial and, and Steve, uh, you, you did already publish a best
0: of,
3: didn't you? I think you yeah, did. Yeah, I, I have the rights to all my columns, all the InfoWorld columns. Oh, God, you, got you got them guys. up on
2: Kindle?
4: No, they're just in paper e-books, right now. Ebooks, baby. We'll have them up by next week. I think all three you. <laughs> uh, i
2: bet you, Steve, that you will make money if you put them out there for people to be able I'd to buy read them on Kendo. I'd buy and buy them. Do it at a low price. You're not going to get any ten dollars for them. No, it's got to right? be an impulse purchase. Yeah, and and if you're down there at the, that small amount of money, it's just one click and the guy can do it. A lot of my books have been available through Bain Books as e-books for ten years and they never sold anything. Right. Right, and Amazon. Because you had to to get them on a Kindle, you had to buy the book and then email it to right, yourself. Right, right. And um, whereas in, on the, in, on Amazon, you see it, and ah, you can have this book for two ninety nine. All right, click, and there it so is. So if it's I go period. to
0: if I go on my Kindle and search for Pornell, I'll find a bunch of stuff, including those old.
2: You'll find some a lot more of them in the next few weeks.
3: Oh, and and, and you know, Leo, I did want to mention that I think I thought that Paul Throck made a very very perceptive and salient point the other day you and he were talking when he was talking about what a sort of a stealth mover amazon has been Oh man that amazon is sort of quietly doing major things and because we all think of them sort of as oh well that's amazon and they sell books but they're doing i mean they've 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 reached out and branched out into so many other areas where they're really making an, a, an impact, and we sort of don't pay attention to it. But Paul's point was, if any other company just did one of these things, it would be big news. Yeah. But somehow the fact that it sort of gets hidden underneath Amazon's, you know, what we're used to thinking of Amazon as, we're really not paying attention to it. But Amazon is is a serious mover. Oh, they're on the move. I mean, it's the it, we started with the cloud, of course.
0: Cla- I mean, Borders player.
2: is going out of business. Yeah. Oh, the publishing Amazon. industry is completely changed, and yet Amazon is selling ebooks like mad. They're selling more of them than do paperbacks now.
0: Well, and I might remind everybody that Amazon owns a little company uh, called Audible.com. And and I was just looking, and Jerry, your books are on Audible. I hope you make Not some money. Not only that,
2: but I make a lot of money out of Audible. <laughs> I
0: like to hear that. Uh, there's The Moten God's Eye, Lucifer's Hammer, Footfall, Inferno, Star Swarm. Oath of Fealty, Escape from Hell, Uh, seven of
2: them. Yep, and there'll be more. By the way, Star Swarm is a wonderful juvenile. If you haven't read it, you really would like it. Uh, Anybody from 10 to 100 years old should like Star Swarm.
0: Well, it's uh, 10 hours, and it's available to you right now absolutely free. In fact, get two of Jerry's books. I'd get Moten God's Eye and Star Swarm. And you can do it absolutely free right now if you go to audible.com slash twit and the number two. Audible books are audiobooks. There's about 80,000 audiobooks here at audible.com. So it's kind of a bookstore of audiobooks. Now, the nice thing about this, like an ebook, you pick your book and you download it and you've got it. It's on your computer. You could put it on your iPod, your iPhone, your Kindle, your Zune. Uh, you know, even a GPS devices. A lot of devices support Audible. If you're getting excited about the... Game of Thrones, it's de- debuting on uh, HBO next week. You might want to read the book first. I always like to read the book before I see the movie. Audible.com slash twit2. You get two books. Let's make them Jerry Pornell books. Let's celebrate. Star Swarm and The Moat in God's Eye. I loved The Moat in God's Eye, although i have to say Lucifer's Hammer. That was damn good. It's, yep. hard, it's hard to pick, I've got to tell you. They're great. Get on- them all. Get them all. But start with your first two are free because you sign up for the platinum account. And that's a two books a month, and your first month is free, and you can keep them if you decide to, you don't. You can, for some reason, you're not into it. It's yours to keep for free forever. But I got to tell you, you're gonna stay with it. Audible's just fantastic. I I uh, I live on Audible. I've been reading those Peter F. Hamilton uh, books, mm. the Dreaming Void uh, books, uh, Steve, and I'm just loving them. Audible.com/twit2 Give it a try. We really thank them. One of our earliest sponsors and still uh, one of our best sponsors. I don't know how I feel about this. I just saw this in the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, An English girl, Madeline McCann, went missing four years ago. And her family has just announced that they are going to do an email, a viral email campaign that they say they hope will reach 80% of the world's inboxes they're trying to find her i don't blame her she was 4 years old she's 8 years old now they were in portugal at the time you might remember the story
3: yeah but it but i don't know is this a good use of email and so the idea would be that you receive the mail and you Pass forward it, it yourself to it everyone on. in your yep. that you know yeah. so
0: get ready see if uh, you know if you do get that email in your inbox i think it's just i think the problem is at this point spam is so out of control that people just aren't going to see it
4: well, think- we, we, we verified all the details of this because this sounds like, remember that, about, it must have been 10 years ago where there was somebody yes. dying. The kid was dying and they wanted a card. And, and, there was and that's what it, was. Yep. it went
0: all over the Internet and it's the kid a, a is still letter. getting cards today. They had to rent a warehouse, millions of cards. See, don't send physical materials. That's a bad idea. Here's another bad idea. Maybe, I don't know. Okay. I know you guys are fan, uh, or I know, Steve, at least you're a fan of the iPad 2, as am I. Uh, yep. But a main school has just bought iPad 2s for every one of its kindergartners. 582 iPad 2s. What do you think of and what,
3: that? And what they said was that the just the use of the. The, the modest level of educational software, which is available on the iPad, has made a measurable improvement in the kids' reading skills.
4: Oh, oh really? Awesome. <laughs> how did they, How long have they had these things? Two minutes and it's already here. This, this is, is bull crap. This is from the guy, John C. Dvorak,
0: who said he was really glad that his kids played driving games because they were better drivers because of it. And
4: now you're saying kids can't learn to read? Well, they can't learn to read from a book? <laughs> The driving it's not, simulator it's is not a fun. completely that's a red herring, Leo. It's got nothing to do with this. This is not a simulator where they're simulating reading and then they get good at it. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Teachers saw
0: remarkable <laughs> progress using iPads. The district, I'm sorry, 285 This is a iPads. promotional
4: stunt. This is a public relations stunt that Apple somehow orchestrated.
0: It's a $200,000 buy because they also bought insurance, educational software, training all the teachers get them. Six elementary schools. This is a tiny town in
3: Maine. The population of the town, 25,000. But
0: they all
2: have iPads.
3: You know, Jerry's wife has a lot of experience with using computers to teach, um, uh, what is it,
2: reading, Jerry? Oh, yeah, reading. She she has a, a systematic phonics program. It was written for DOS. It works on Windows. And it's kind of hokey looking, but it works. It, so it does. It could work. Well, it, it well. Her program is systematic. I don't know what programs there are for the iPad. What she teaches is systematic phonics, and it works, far as we know, every time. As long as, as long as it, as long as you're dealing with normal people. Obviously, there are. I don't know what to, what's the proper word you can use for let us say uh, <laughs> they're, they're intellectually challenged they're a children. card short of a full deck. I know what you're talking yeah. about. My mother used to be a first grade teacher and I once asked her did any kids in rural Florida so this is not what you call an expensive rich neighborhood. And I asked her did any kids ever leave first grade who couldn't read in your classes and she said Yeah, there'd be, every year or so, there'd be one or two who didn't learn to read, but they didn't learn anything else either. Yeah. If you're dealing with the normal population, there is no reason why 70... Intensive lessons won't teach phonic reading of English. And that's reading. If you're reading vocabulary and you're speaking vocabulary, they're in the same. That's all on my website. My wife will sell you the program and, um, you know, 70 lessons and your kid can read.
0: JerryPornell.com.
2: Jerry, I, put it on the iPad and make some money. Yeah, really. I was this is, Look, <laughs> I want to. Roberta doesn't, and that's not that's her program, not mine. She invented it. She makes it happen, and she doesn't want to do it. I huh. don't know why. Huh. I would love to have her put it on the iPad. I think it's a natural for the iPad. The iPad is more than powerful enough to do it, and it would be an iPad app. And I'll bet you if she put that thing up there at $10, bucks, she would sell a million of them.
3: Yeah, I bet you're right. Well one one of the things i think that happens with the the notion of touch is that it, it it really draws um kids to it. I mean we we we've seen all the stories about parents handing their iPhones to their I right. mean even their babies oh, yeah. as yeah high tech pacifier. Yeah. Yeah. And uh i just think i i look at the technology we have the power we have in these devices the connectivity we have with the internet and Although it would be hugely exp- uh, uh, an upfront huge investment, there is an incredible teaching machine and an incredible opportunity for 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 delivering knowledge and in in the form of education on on tablets
2: and particularly on something like an iPad. I think yeah. the most effective advertisement that Apple ever had was the early iPad ads that came out and said, "You already know how to use it mm." And it turns out they were right. People yeah. would get a hold of them, and they, and and by you, they meant kids down to age six. You already know how to use it. What about
0: this yeah. uh, this French law? Google and Facebook are challenging it. Uh. <laughs> Steve seems to have an opinion on this. <laughs> uh, the the uh, uh, French government obliged. Uh, this this was a regulation passed some time ago. Uh, says that e commerce sites video music services even web email providers uh must have a data retention i don't know what the length of time is but that not only, but, uh, for some time of of their customers' personal information including names mailing addresses not email but physical mailing addresses telephone numbers and get this passwords
3: yeah okay so for for the listeners who aren't regular listeners to security now. Um, I should explain that the -the state-of-the-art technology for handling logins is that companies do not store your password. Instead, they store a hash of your password. The idea is that you can take a password, you run it through a so-called cryptographic hash, and you get this this blob, a a fixed-size sort of a token that... That represents the password. The beauty of doing that is, if you should ever lose control of your database, and it happens a lot these days, daily, daily, yeah. then then you're not you're not divulging your users' passwords. You're divulging this thing, and the the, the beauty of a cryptographic hash is that there's no way that. Knowing even what the output of the hash is, there's no way of reversing the process, and for example, getting data that would then allow you to impersonate the person and log in as them but if you if you if you take what this French law is apparently saying literally, that is that they could demand that companies like Google and Facebook and so forth are able are are upon demand able to turn over the passwords, then what that says is those companies have to save something that for the security and the privacy of their own users, they're deliberately not saving. That is, they're not saving the password, they're saving the hash. And so this has caused a great deal of tweeting in my direction.
0: Yeah. Well, and Google and Facebook are fighting this. A lot of companies are fighting eBay doesn't want to do this. Um, And I think, uh, let me tell you, it's also a little scary, the notion that, uh, uh, you could subpoena not just my personal information, but my password, which gives you access to my uh, continued information until I know about I, it and change it. Until uh, right, so you really... know
2: about it and erase it, or whatever. Yeah, it's very scary. Yeah, it. You do understand that anything you put in the cloud is probably going to be available to somebody you didn't want to have it.
3: What? You know, that's really not the case in in in, in the <laughs> At case least with that, these of these hash passwords. It's not. Well, or stuff that you encrypt before it leaves your computer. Right, right. If, if you do it right, if you really encrypt stuff before it leaves, then it's just pseudo random noise. So, and the
2: pseudo random noise. Will how many be people are going to do that,
3: so Steve? How many people? Come on! I agree. How many I, I agree <laughs> because people want little convenience, convenience features
2: like, oh, I can access
3: this from a right. web browser anywhere else. Well, right. if, if yeah. that's a capability As I that said, you want,
2: anything you put up in the cloud is going to be available to somebody you didn't want to have it. Now, in the case of uh, uh, if it's encrypted, the you you didn't want them to have it is not a very powerful emotion. But if it's your story of your last affair with somebody, not your partner, you probably did not want somebody to know that. It, it Anything you put up in the cloud is eventually going to be available to somebody you did not want to have have it.
0: Nevertheless, I think this law. is a bad
3: idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I well, hope that and, they open the law. I wonder what it is that they're trying to get at. That is, do they actually want the ability to impersonate users, or do they just want the ability to have access to their accounts? Because that that could be done without the divulging of this information, or without actually needing uh, the yep. the providers to store the passwords.
2: You want my opinion? I think some. I think the Chinese government is bribing the holy hell out of some people to get that law. In France, yeah. Once the French do it, the rest of the European you, you, you watch. I, I think it's probably something having to do with the Chinese. That's what they want is everybody's password. You know. I knew it was I going like to come back to the there. Hong Kong post office, Leo. <laughs> it's all about the Chinese.
0: Jerry Pornell is at jerrypornell.com, and you must go there. You can subscribe to his Chaos Manor columns there. You could find out about what he's up to, and I can't wait uh, to see the new bite. I hope that they bring Chaos Manor back, Jerry. That'll be awesome. We're so glad hope you so. joined us today. Thank you for being here. Steve Gibson is the host, the uh, man in charge at grc.com, and the host of the Security Now show, which we do every Wednesday, and you've got to tune in 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Pacific, at li- uh, Eastern at live.twit.tv for Security Now. It John is- and
3: Jerry, it was a pleasure being on with
0: you guys education.
4: today. Always a pleasure to see you, Steve.
0: The most sincere John C. Dvorak <laughs> is at <laughs> channeldvorak.com, and uh, he has a new show called x3x3.mevio.com.
4: Uh, what else are you doing? Anything else besides No Agenda? The No Agenda Show, of course, is taking up most of my time. Really? Uh, PC Mag, obviously, Market Watch. I'm always there, and uh, and now I'm going to actually, when we get finish the show, which seems to be wrapping up a little prematurely, I have a plane to catch. Where are you going? I'm going to Vegas. Oh, baby, hey, Vegas, baby! It's not to so, gamble; uh, it's
0: for the National Association of Broadcasters.
4: Well, while you're on your way to Vegas, I'm going to go down, go into the archives, and start cranking, pulling yeah. stuff out. You know, the funny thing is I already kind of have one book ready to go called 1984, which is all the stuff I wrote about in 1984. that. Oh, when I was writing, like, a column a day, so there was a lot of material. It was kind of an interesting year. Uh, this is when the Macintosh showed up. So uh, I'll maybe go good. do that this that, afternoon. That was that a
0: watershed year, wasn't it, in computing? I year, think man. it was a
4: big, big,
3: big year. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I think it was just, around the, it was just before the PC, right? Yeah, no, the, the PC, PC was, 81. No, 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 no. was eighty-one. That oh, okay. was eighty-one. But it was the PC it was, just was
0: before the eighty. Yeah, the PC right. was really starting to get on, get steam in eighty in the early eighties. Uh, Macintosh comes out. I think it's a very exciting time. Absolutely, I agree. Um, I look forward to that. We are going to NAB. We are the official streaming partner for the National Association of Broadcasters. If that's not cool. a hoot, I don't know hey, what very is. Cool. <laughs> I'm
4: surprised they, they fell for that one, Leo. <laughs>
0: I tricked them. So, so we will be broadcasting from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific time uh, every uh, day, uh, Monday through Thursday this week. We've got some great panelists going to learn a lot. Uh, Home Theater Geeks will be uh, on there. Windows Weekly, too, because the Mix Conference is going on. Microsoft's Web Conference, also in Vegas. Paul Thorat's going to be out there. It should be a lot of good programming coming up over the next four days. And, of course, you can catch uh, those broadcasts if you miss them live uh, on our Twit Specials feed, which is twit.tv slash specials. This show is, of course, every Sunday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, at live.twit.tv, and you can catch it after the fact on iTunes. Everywhere better podcasts are sold. Uh, Thanks all for being here. It was so much fun. Next week, our sixth anniversary episode with the original Twits. John, you can come, too. You're an honorary original Twit.
4: Maybe I'll come to Kibitz. I'll be like those two guys in the balcony.
0: Can I, can I, uh, can I, Statler and, uh, yeah, I can. Waldorf. Waldorf. I have to tell you, John. Just for you, uh, I was at the school auction and somebody was auctioning off uh, five nineteen ninety-five uh, Bordeaux's, including uh, several Laovilles. Ooh! And I bought them. 95 is Laevils—a good wine, so you won't regret that purchase. He said, "Keep it, keep it uh, down for another five years to really maximize the uh, maybe the pleasure." But if you want to open it early, we
4: can. I'll be up. <laughs>
0: that was easy. <laughs> I convinced him. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Another twit!
4: He's in the can.